few things I just want to remind you of because we have a lot coming up and going on and all those things. So tonight we have a night of worship. We invite you all to be here for that. 6 p.m. this evening, night of worship. Have a great time. Uh, have a, a testimony, a time of prayer, things like that, and a time of singing. Uh, the Crawford ladies and the group of, with them are going to be singing some songs, so it's going to be a great time. Um, trunk or treat, Tuesday evening. If you've never done that, it's a great time. You don't have to dress up. Um, it's fun if you do, but you don't have to. Um, and we, we fill up this parking lot over here and give out candy. Um, and this year, the city is doing a, a monster, uh, Monsters on Main, so we'll basically just be part of that because it's right there with what we already do. So um, it's going to be a fun time that evening. Uh, Operation Christmas Child Boxes, they're in the foyer. They're in the Connect Center. They are due back on November 12th. Jessica? Yes. Did it right. So please have those back on or before November 12th so we can get those delivered over to the distribution center. Um, if you need have questions about that, feel free to go to the Connect Center afterwards and you can get questions answered there. And then the last thing, we have a little bit of business to do at the end of the service today. We're nominating um, deacons. The deacon body asked the church to nominate some new deacons. That was voted on at our last business meeting. We'll, we'll do that today uh, and next week because you may not know it or not, but our Constitution calls for multiple Sundays on that. So we'll actually do that this Sunday and next Sunday. So um, we'll do that at the end of the service. That's That members only will be nominating. You're welcome to stay if you're if you're a guest and, and just see that if you want to. If you want to slip out during that time, you're, that, that's fine too. We understand. Um, so that will be at the very end of the service when we're done today. So that last song hits me a little different now. Josh and I sang that uh, with Miss Sandy the other day. It's one of her... Uh, favorite new songs that we sing now and um, I don't know just hit me a little different this morning I know she's listening and I hope she enjoyed it Whew. so we are looking at real talk this morning um, tackling hard issues we've been doing this as our seventh week Let, next week is our last week on this series hey, there we go I knew I'd get at least one that a boy <laughs> Some of these have been harder than others, uh, depending on where you struggle or what the, what the case may be. I don't know, but today we're looking at, at politics, our favorite thing to talk about, everyone's favorite thing to talk about, at least, well, not me, but somebody likes it, I guess. Um, taking a little different angle on it, so we'll, we'll see how, how it goes. Um, as far as that goes, just kind of give you some things to think about as we, as we lead into this. You know, Plato said this, he's a lot smarter than me, the penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. Um, something to think about. So you may shun politics or think it's not a good thing, but it does affect your life. So um, there's, there's that. I want to keep that in mind. This came from an article uh, from Pulpit Helps. It's definition of political systems, definition of political systems slash economic systems. So communism, you have two cows. The government takes both of them and gives you part of the milk. Socialism, you have two cows. The government takes one and gives the other to your neighbor. Fascism, you have two cows. The government takes both cows and sells you the milk. Nazism, you have two cows. The government takes both cows and then shoots you. <laughs> Bureaucracy, you have two cows. The government takes both of them, shoots one, milks the other, then pours the milk down the drain. <laughs> Capitalism, you have two cows. You sell one and you buy a bull. In democracy, everyone has two cows, then a vote is taken, and whatever the majority decides to do, do decides to do, you do, and that's no bull. <laughs> um, 
Isn't that good? That's good, isn't it? Uh, you know, I mean, politics is messy, and, 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 you know, I've said from this, from right here many times, I do not ever plan to stand right here and tell you who to vote for as if that's God's message. That's, that's, that's not, I don't think that's okay. That's just my personal feelings about it. You may feel differently. I'll tell you what, what values I think are, are most important, and then you can take that how you want to and, and exercise your right to to be uh, to your civic duty and those things. But, um, you know, Will Rogers said this back in the late 20s, early 30s. said, Congress is so strange, a man gets up to speak and says nothing, nobody listens, and then everybody disagrees. And I thought, that, that kind of can describe politics sometimes. That's the way it feels. It's definitely the way it feels now. Um, or the last one, and then we'll get into the message. I just felt like saying a few things that were funny today. <laughs> Will Rogers said this also. Now, again, this was in the late 20s. Keep, keep this one in mind as we go through what we're going through today. He says, Lord, the money we spend on government, and it's not a, bit better, not, a bit, not a bit better than the government that we got for a third of the money 20 years ago. Uh, so, with all that said, let's read God's Word. Philippians 3, starting in verse 17, says, join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many, live, many, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Father, I come to you today, Lord, and I ask you to speak to me and through me, to use me however you see fit, God, that you would superintend the words that come from me, God, that, that you would speak to our hearts, that you, your Holy Spirit would be manifest present today, and that we would know uh, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that we would put our hope and trust in nothing else than that, Father. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and all the blessings that you give us, God. And we pray that we would take those, take those blessings, use them to, to benefit others, to love others with, to expand your kingdom, to, to glorify your name and lift your name on high with every opportunity that you give us, God. And we pray all those things in Jesus Christ's name and all the Lord's people said, amen. amen. All right. So... Start with verse 17. Verse 17 says, Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. What Paul's doing here is drawing a very stark contrast uh, to what, in this verse here, to what he has described just a few verses earlier uh, as something opposite of that. So if you back up, if you've got your copy of your word open, if you back up to verse 2 in chapter 3, Paul says, Watch out for dogs, quote, unquote, Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, are, for we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Now, Jews, by culture, hated dogs. They were, they were dirty, and they didn't like them. Uh, in this context, the dogs, the quote-unquote dogs Paul is talking about here, is the false teachers uh, and, the, and, and those that were teaching Jesus and 
that specifically here, the, the false teachers, that it was Jesus and Jesus and circumcision, Jesus and the dietary laws, uh, Jesus and works saves you is what was being taught. That's a false teaching. That's a false gospel. It is not true. And Paul was battling that then, and we've really continued to battle it as the church ever since. It's always been something we've had to battle. Uh, and Paul had nothing for these people. To call them dogs was about as big, a, big an insult as that you could place on them. And he, he calls these false teachers these dogs. Um, he said, hey, I used to be that way, what Paul says in these verses that come after this. I used to be that way until Jesus changed me. I used to have confidence in the flesh. I used to have confidence in what I could do, what I could do and, and, and accomplish for the Lord for my salvation's sake. He said, I used to be like that. He goes on there in, in chapter 3, verse 4, says, listen to it, as I'll read it for you. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Oh, I love Paul, man. God, he's awesome. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He said, I did all of that. But then in verse 7 it says, but everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be lost because of Christ. Paul understood that trying to earn his salvation was a piddly waste of time, an impossibility. And he had much disdain for those who stood in the place of speaking for God and tried to get people to believe that it was Jesus and. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus. That's what saves you. Period. End of discussion. And so with that contrast is, is where we picked it up today in verse 17. That's why he's saying, join me, and join in imitating me. Don't imitate them, imitate me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. So yes, Paul is saying, follow my example. I'm living for Jesus. I'm doing a lot of works. Catch that. It wasn't like Paul was sitting around doing nothing. Paul may have done more more works for the Lord than anybody that's ever walked this planet. He's doing works, but I'm doing it because I am saved, not so I will be saved. And that mentality plays out very differently in the world. And depending on where you fall on that, would, would confirm whether or not you actually have placed faith in Jesus or not. If, if you... If you think, if you believe, not if you think, because we all struggle with this from time to time, but if you believe that you have to justify yourself before God with good works, then you still don't understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's what I'm trying to say, and I'll leave it at that. He's saying, this is the way. This is the way. Follow me. This is the way. Following Jesus this way is the way, and the, and the way is grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. His works save you, not you. Be and do good because Jesus loves you, but not so Jesus will love you. He already proved that he loved you when he went to the cross and you were still a sinner, God's word tells us. This is a great reminder also in this verse of the importance of the company that you keep. Run with dogs, you get fleas. Your mama or your grandmama probably taught you that. That's part of what Paul's saying here. It's not really a major point, but it is something that needs to be said. Be careful of who you spend the majority of your time with. Be careful. Be careful. Or as Shane Pruitt says it, he's a lot better at saying this than I am, 
Shane Pruitt said, Jesus didn't spend time and eat with sinners because he wanted to appear tolerant and affirming. He spent time with them to show them he is God and how to live differently. The gospel is not about affirmation, but transformation. Mm, that's good. Moving along, verse 18. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. Paul is passionately, he is passionately telling them again, he says, through tears. Because sometimes things that really matter bring us to tears, and that's okay. That's okay. Many people that say they are Christians are actually enemies of the cross of Christ, is what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about people that were denouncing Jesus. He's talking about people that were saying they were following Jesus, but they were twisting it to mean and be something else, something that benefited them more than it benefited those that hear it. He said they're enemies of the cross of Christ, no matter what they say. Tony Evans says to live as enemies of the cross is to engage in lives of physical gratification and self-centeredness. Or God's word says we'll know each other by our fruit. The cross says... Jesus is important. The cross says Jesus is worthy. The cross says Jesus is holy. The cross says Jesus is God. The false teachers, the Judaizers, as, as Paul calls them, the Judaizers, those who were, who were trying to make it Jesus and, the Jesus and people say they, they say that they are important. See, following Jesus says Jesus is important. The cross says Jesus is important. But these false teachers were saying they're important. They are worthy. They are high and lifted up. I mean, after all, look at my works. Look how good I am and how good I'm doing. It's about lifting up self, these false teachers, this false gospel. It's a false gospel because the news that you have to be good enough and achieve enough is not good news. Think about that. That's not good news. The good news that Jesus did all the work of your salvation for you and asked you to place your faith in that as a gift of salvation that's good news, that you stand justified before a holy God because God loved you enough to save you from yourself. That's good news. But the news that you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, we talked about that last week. It's a burden that no one can bear. No one has successfully borne that, bur that burden, and no one ever successfully will except for Jesus because it takes God to be able to. To do that, it's not good news if the news is you got to be good enough. He says the people that, that try and yoke you to the law for you to be justified, their end is destruction, he says here in this verse. Their end is destruction. That means eternal judgment. That's another way you could say that Greek word. Eternal judgment is those who won't accept Christ and what he did on the cross. They, they worship the law, not the God of the law. That's what Paul means by saying their God is their stomach. They believe following dietary laws can justify them. Eat this, don't eat that, and then God will love you and you'll be good enough. What a silly thing. What a silly thing. But it was very prominent during this day. Their glory is their shame is a veiled and poetic way of saying what he's already said earlier in chapter 3. These people are trying to be justified by physical acts like circumcision that's the that's the that's what he's saying with these these words here your shame or your nakedness 
uh, are practically synonymous in the Bible, your shame and your nakedness. Their glory there in this, in this verse means uh, for being good enough is, is that they, their glory is that they got circumcised. That's what this verse is trying to say. I cannot talk this morning. My tongue's been heavy and twisted all morning long, and it's about to make me get angry at myself, but there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> it's one of those days. So that's what their glory is, that they're good enough because they got circumcised. They performed some act, some work, and now God is going to accept them. The poetic underlying for these words, for glory and for shame, are also ways of saying God and false gods. Their God is the false God of circumcision. That's what Paul is saying here. Basically, he's throwing bows at these dudes. Like he's, he's trying to tell them he's about to catch these hands in a spiritual form, but not really. He says, they are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, for, a, for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're focused on <clears throat> what they can gain in the here and now. Again, the contrast between how he's following Jesus and how these false teachers, these Judaizers, are saying that you should follow Jesus, which really isn't following Jesus. It's still following Jesus their way and the law and man's way. <clears throat> he says, this is what they're, they're, they're about, they're, what they can gain in the here and now. And Jesus says in Mark, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That's Jesus' answer to that mindset. But Paul says, you followers of Jesus, that's not you. Focused on earthly things, that's not you. That's not us. That can't be us. We have citizenship in heaven. We conduct ourselves in the world as ambassadors from heaven, representatives of Christ Jesus with our lives. What a calling God has placed on our lives. What a great responsibility God has placed in our lives. If you want meaning in your life, bear responsibility. That's where it comes from. Sitting around doing nothing gives you no meaning. It's a problem we have with, with many generations, but especially our younger generation now. There's, they're, they're, they're not given responsibility. Responsibility breeds meaning. There's no greater responsibility than being an ambassador for Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, with your life during this life. You'll never, during, in this world, you'll never find a better meaning than that. We represent a way of life that is foreign to the world. We're just sojourners. We're foreigners. We're aliens. We're just passing through. This world is not our home. It is not our home. We're just passing through this life on our way home to an eternal home, to a better home. We aren't vagabonds. Vagabonds don't have a home. We have a home. We are sojourners, travelers. Traveling temporarily through this world, temporarily staying here and there as we make our way to our real home where we once came from and shall return to the presence of God. That's who we are. That's what Paul's saying here. You got citizenship in heaven. And then he finishes it with a glorious verse. And that, that Savior, Jesus Christ, will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power of that enables him to subject everything to himself. Whew. 
When that, when that day comes, when we are taken home, we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, physically with heavenly bodies. Praise the Lord. I've been having this weather change, these joint aches and these joint pains. I'm so sick and tired of this earthly body. I can't wait to have a heavenly body. I'm so sick and tired of seeing us sick and hurting and struggling. I'm tired of it. I'm so ready for us to have our heavenly transformed bodies. And it says, how's that happening? Spiritually, by the power of God, the same power that has created all of this and calls it all to be subject to himself. What a power. What a God. What a day that'll be when my Jesus I shall see. We've sung that for a long, long time. And there's a reason why. He then gives them, in light of this truth, truth, directions to carry out, as Paul tends to do. Here's the big theological godly truth. Now do something. That's what Paul does. He says, so then my dear sweet friends, my joy, my crown, I love the way he says it there in chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. We talked about that with courage in this series a few weeks ago. And continuing there, 4, verse 2, I urge Yodia and I urge Sintithe to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. He says, hey, in light of this truth, get along and agree in the Lord. And most importantly, live and defend and share and expand the gospel. That's what he says right there in verse 3. That's the most important thing. He says, you are saved. Now go and share this good news with others so they too can know the love of God. To know that they can stand justified before the God of the universe. That they, that they can be saved. That they can receive salvation. That they can, they can miss the wrath of God. That they, can, that they can be sanctified and ultimately glorified. Glorification that is to come when our salvation is made complete. Share that. Share that God. Share that gospel. Go out and do it, Paul says. Just keep doing it. Notice that he says, also you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. Hmm. Same, same trouble then that the church has now. I'll keep moving along. And... Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you've spent five seconds in Philippians, you know that Paul talks about joy and rejoicing in this letter a lot. The Philippian church was a great church. They were a generous church. They really helped Paul a lot, and he loved them. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Oh, man. That holy God filled joy. That knows eternity is his home. That's the joy he's talking about. That holy God-filled joy that knows eternity is his home. That, that, that follower of Jesus that knows he or she is a citizen of heaven, <clears throat> not of this world. That I'm just a pilgrim passing through on my way to my eternal home with God forever. The best word we have to describe that place is heaven. <clears throat> it's good. It's going to be good in heaven. It's good to be a citizen of heaven. That's how you have joy. Rejoice. It's almost time, Paul's saying. It's almost time. The Lord's near. 
You say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. I know, but Paul ain't around, so it wasn't near. And it's near for you and me. This life is a vapor. He may come back today. He may not come back for 1,000 years. Either way, to you and me, it's going to be like that. This life is a vapor. The Lord is near. Know where your citizenship is. Know whom you're living for. And then he gives out the characterization that should be us. That, that, that's what it should be. This is to be how the world should characterize us. It's not always going to happen, no matter what, because darkness doesn't like light. But it should be our characterization, a rejoiceful people that can agree on the main things, that are unified for the Lord, that stand firm in the truth, the truth of Jesus. Let the graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And some of you are starting to think, it's 1143, and I thought you said we were talking about politics. I thought that was the subject for today. I'm so glad you asked if we were ever going to talk about politics. What did, what did Jesus say about politics? Not very much, honestly. <laughs> I mean, not directly, not really. I mean, our style of living, our style of government wasn't even a real thing then. So it would be weird for him to talk about a democratic republic to the people that did, wouldn't have known what that is. One of the most famous things he, that he said about our relationship to government, if you wanted to define it that way, and God is recorded in three of the four Gospels, Mark 12, 13 through 17, Luke 20, 20 through 26, and Matthew 22, 15 through 22. I'm going to read Mark's account of that. Listen, it says, Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees, that's always when the music would go, bum, 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 and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They're trying to get him trapped in this, this man-made law stuff. It says, teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. <laughs> Flattery never fails. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully, even though they are lying through their teeth. They do not believe that. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Which I know we all wish he would have said, nope. Don't. But he didn't. Should we pay them or shouldn't we? It says, Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. And then he says, Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. I love it when it says that after Jesus says something. His reply completely amazed them. Now the question that I would ask and that I have asked to that is, well then what belongs to God? Right? That's what we do. It's good to ask questions. That's how you come to understanding. What belongs to God? If Caesar's image is on the coin, then what's God's image on? Oh man. Some of y'all already see what I said if you're ahead of me. Where are we headed? Let's just go to Genesis. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. How can you not be a Trinitarian when you read that verse? I don't get it. Anyway, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Hmm. What Jesus is saying is all that stuff is just stuff. whoop de doo Give Caesar his coins. Whoop-de-doo. Give Jesus your life. That's quite the statement. 
No wonder they went, whoa, this guy's different. They didn't see that answer coming. So what is all this to say about politics? If you take those verses there about us being a citizen in heaven, the fact that Jesus says, give Caesar what Caesar wants. Give God what he wants, and he wants your life. What does that say about all this? Playing politics creates division. Living for Jesus creates unity. It's just that simple. So first, let's define what playing politics is, because that's a saying that you may not know. Most, some of us use that, but some may not know. It means to say or do things for political reasons instead of doing what is right or what is best for other people, playing politics. And you all know what that is because we use that phrase. Uh, it's just a political decision. What does that mean? It means this was the right choice, but for whatever reason that benefited that person, they chose this choice. Even though this was correct, this is what they did because it'll glad hand, it'll rub elbows, it'll schmooze the right person, it looks the best, or whatever the case may be. They're playing politics, and nobody likes that. Nobody. I've never heard somebody ever say that unless they're evil to their core, that they like that. It's disgusting. I think it's what people mean when they say they don't like politics. I think that's what they're talking about. Because politics, as far as being involved in government and, doing, and, and trying to help your citizens and all that, politics in and of itself is not a bad thing. What people don't like is playing politics. Do, to say or do things for political reasons instead of doing what is right or what is best for people. That's what we don't like. So we are citizens of heaven first and foremost. And you have to keep that in mind when it comes to politics. All forms of politics. If you put it on a national level, I'm thankful to be a citizen of the United States of America. I couldn't be more thankful. I love this country. I taught advanced placement U.S. history for years over here. I know the history, and I'm thankful for it, and I'm proud to be an American, but my primary allegiance is to Jesus, period. And if those two things ever cross, it's Jesus is who I'm supposed to follow. If the red, white, and blue cross over to tell me to do something that I'm not supposed to do as far as Jesus is concerned, Jesus is my choice, supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. Living for Jesus creates unity. Playing politics creates divisions. All right, so a few practical things, and then we'll be done when it comes to this subject of politics with Philippians 3, 17 through 21 in mind. Kings or presidents ain't going to fix it. Like, stop that. Stop acting like that. Stop believing that. Stop saying that. It's not true. Ask Israel. They wanted a king 3,700 years ago. They didn't want God's ordained judge. They wanted to, quote, unquote, be like all the other nations. Give us a king. Well, the very first one went crazy and became a paranoid, paranoid lunatic. The second one murdered a good friend for a woman. The third one taxed them to the gills. And it only got worse after those three. They're the three best examples. For 240 years, political parties in this country have been promising to fix all the problems. And last time I checked, we still have problems. So either... They are really, really, really bad at their jobs, or they're lying, or both. President Ronald Reagan said it best when he said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. 
Now, I'm not saying whoever is in charge doesn't make a difference. That's foolish. Of course they do. Of course it makes a difference. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned with who is in charge. We should definitely be concerned. I'm not saying you shouldn't get involved and try to be someone who's in charge of something. That would help if actual Jesus followers were in positions to do things that were right, even at the expense of their own well-being sometimes. I'm only saying, I'm saying, only place your faith in Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Don't place your faith in a king or in a president. Your hope and your trust are in Jesus, not a politician. Anytime you fall for that trap, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. Hey, here we go. Uh, no political party represents God. Throw something if you want to. I don't care. That's the truth. What am I, I'm saying, don't equate political parties with the work of God. That's dangerous foolish, and probably heresy most of the time. Just because a political party takes, in your opinion, a correct moral stance on an issue, which is a good thing, doesn't mean that that party is all moral or a moral authority. Worship the lion and the lamb, never the donkey or the elephant. It's just that simple. Values over politics. Keep that in mind. When it comes down to it, do, do what is right. Do what is right. Not what, gets you, not what gets you what you want. Not what makes you look like you want. Not who gives you the friend that you want or lets you rub elbows with who you want or makes you look good in front of whoever you want. Do what's right, not what's politically expedient. Whatever the case may be, whether it's church politics, which is an oxymoron and makes me want to vomit, or local politics or state politics or national politics or just the old politics we talk about just in regular life in general. Values over politics. Nothing is worth your values. Nothing. Nothing is worth your character. Nothing is worth your word. Nothing. Nothing you can gain in this world is worth doing what's right and living for Jesus. It's just not. It's priceless to be able to lay your head down at night and fall asleep because you're not worried about something. It's miserable when it's the other way around. Miserable. Been there. Far from perfect. Been there. It's miserable when we get that backwards and mess that up. Be involved. Said render under Caesar, right? Well, in this country, we have civic duty and a pretty important one. Be glad you have that ability to vote. Be glad you have that ability to vote on someone to represent you in a government. Be glad that you can be that person. Don't, don't take it for granted. Use, use it and use it well. Be involved. I think it's a good thing for Jesus' followers to be involved in their civic duty in our country and in, in our local area as well. And the last thing, and I'm done because you are thrilled. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Jesus over party. Jesus over politics, Jesus over power, Jesus over wealth, Jesus over status. Choose Jesus. All of these things can be good. Party, politics, power, wealth, status, all those things can be a good thing and can be used for good. Just not if they're chosen over Jesus. Choosing Jesus means choosing love, and choosing love means doing what is best for another. Politics 
will always bring you to a point of doing what is right and loving and best or not. There's always going to come a time where you have to make those decisions. You've got to do what's right. Choose Jesus. Remember that your citizenship here does not supersede your citizenship. I can't say that word. In heaven. There's too many S's for me. Citizenship in heaven supersedes your citizenship here. When in doubt, when in doubt, when in doubt, when in doubt, choose Jesus. When in doubt, choose Jesus. He wins. His rewards are better than any of the world's rewards. Choose Jesus over anything else. So, we'll finish up with a time of song here. Would uh, invite you to do a couple of things. Either join in this song, sing with us. Uh, if the message today has spoken to you in some way and you would like to spend time in prayer over that or anything else, feel free to come forward and pray about that. If you want to join the church or you're interested in salvation, that God that loves you so much that he died for you, knowing you were yet still a sinner, I would love to talk to you during this time about that. Um, and, and regardless of which of those you choose, I pray that, that these words, that, that we want to choose Jesus over everything, would just permeate us today. That we wouldn't look to a president or a king or anyone else to place our faith in, our hope and trust in. That Jesus would be who we put our hope and trust in. And in that, we would have the power to do what is right, even when it's most difficult. That's what I pray. Father, I thank you and I love you. And I pray that your spirit would work during this time. And that we would honor and glorify you during this time as well, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with us as we sing.